You're listening to The Real Word Podcast, produced by Reading Opens Minds. I'm Lauren, and in this episode, we're talking about the book, Everything I Never Told You by Celeste Ng. From the New York Times Review in 2014, Celeste Ng's debut novel, Everything I Never Told You, is a literary thriller that begins with some stock elements, a missing girl, a lake, a local bad boy who's one of the last to see her and won't say what he knows. The year is 1977, the setting, a quiet all-American town in Ohio, where everyone knows one another and nothing like this has ever happened before. Publishers Weekly says, Lydia is remarkably imagined, her unhappy teenage life crafted without an ounce of cliché. Ing's prose is precise and sensitive, her characters richly drawn. And now to our own group of richly drawn teens. Okay, I like the book. I really like the book. The only thing I didn't really like, like Alejandro said, it was like the flashbacks. Because, I mean, it interrupted the whole story. And, uh, like, it, from the plot line where she's, where the girl, where, uh, what's her, for Linda? Yeah, no, Lydia. 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 Lydia had died. So, it, like, it goes back to the past. And, like, I didn't like the interrupting aspect of it but it was like an interesting plot line I, I really liked it like the only character I didn't like was James like oh, I just hated James yeah. with a passion I just hated him wait is that the dad yeah, yeah that's the dad you hated the dad yeah and I mean I didn't like the parents because like I don't know the mom was just really pushy and then the dad was just well I liked it not because of what it contained obviously the fact that the parents were dominating their kids um poor Lydia right that's the name um they wanted her to be successful but then in reality she was really suffering from all the parents expectations which I'm sure a lot of us can relate to really um Mm -hmm. what do you mean can you talk about that a little bit more well, not necessarily in my case, because I'm the one expect, expecting so much of myself. Um, but, like, uh, there's a lot of situations where kids are forced to go into a certain profession because um, that's what their parents think will be more successful, like, money-wise. And not to bash you on anything, but let's say, for example, there's a parent who wants the kid to become a doctor, but... Um, they love the arts and they love um, theater. This, but is, this is about you. No, 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 no. But oh, because okay. he's in theater the and art. So. Oh, I got it. <laughs> I see. Yeah. Um, but parents don't really pay attention to that because it doesn't make enough money. So that's what I kind of read into it. This reminded me about part of a quick interview we did after the last meeting with the student of the arts before we read this book we're talking about now. Is it okay if you go away to college? I mean, she doesn't really have a choice. And I think she prefers that I stay local. Like, she's... Um, she's just worried of me being too far and something happening to me and her not being able to reach me And if something does happen. But odds are I'm going to stay in the state of California. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Because you'd originally said New York. Yeah, and then I was thinking over, like, I don't... I'm not going to art school anymore. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You were going to double major, though. Yeah, I am going to double major, but at, like, 
a regular college. And why is that? Because I know that like if I go to an art school, it would make my career a lot harder, <laughs> or like life after college harder. I'm remembering what author Hector Tobar said in episode five, that Latinos are traditionally risk averse and bypass the idea of a career in the arts in favor of something more practical. The problem with this is that there are so few Latino artists with any reach into mainstream society that their stories are at risk of being lost to future generations. Of course, people of all ethnicities and races have been choosing more stable career paths than the arts for centuries. And with the upcoming cuts to government funding for the arts and public media, we'll be silencing many of our storytellers who are not lucky enough to be born into privilege. Back to our story. We touch on the setting of the book, the late 1970s, and what it meant for the lives of the female characters, specifically. When I started the book, and I noticed it took place in 1970, what mm -hmm. was it? 77, was it? 1970s. Yeah. Er, uh-huh. It's the first page, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. I'm going to take the time. 77, thank you, thank you. Mm -hmm. And I was really stoked about that because the 70s is my favorite decade. Like, the culture, like, I just love, love everything about the 70s. Like, the clothes and the hair and the, like, when I look at old pictures, like, I just love the feeling of it. But then something I didn't, I haven't got from it is, like, um, feeling that it's from the 70s. Exactly. So they said it in the 70s, but then there's no other evidence. Well, except, don't you think that the whole, all right, I don't want to say too much too soon, but like the whole female thing, like oh, the yeah. fact sexism. that mm. her, right, what did you say? Sexism. Yeah, did you find there's to be sexism in this book? Yeah, a little bit, yeah. Like the 50s, the 50s ideals passed on to the 70s, is that what you mean? Yeah, well like, like um, women should cook, mother. they should, um, they, women should cook, women should um, take care, have children, clean, be, yeah, homemaker. Do you think that people used to think women were like dumber? Yes. Like less yeah. smart? Like inferior, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, why would they think that? What's your best guess? I don't know. I don't know, maybe like guys, guys, I don't know, it's because guys always dominated, like, dominated the workforce, they dominated the education field, and women were just left to follow, I guess. So they really didn't have a shot. Yeah. I don't think it's necessarily that, like, well, I guess they kind of did dominate everything, but at the same time, they didn't really allow women to even, yeah, like, to, yeah. start going into the different fields that they were dominating, so they kind of had, like, a default there. Yeah, I mean, if you don't allow them into school, yeah, then, then how they are they able to show it. their potential? Exactly. Do you think, just just curious, do you think people still think like that today? Yeah. Yes. Uh, Donald Trump. <laughs> Conservatives. <laughs> Conservatives think that women are not as smart as men? Uh, some. Uh, some, yeah. Really? Oh, can I add like, yeah, uh, a life experience? Okay, well, just this past week, Mr. Kang, our government teacher, <laughs> oh we were talking. <laughs> we were talking about how his um, he he's always telling us stories about him and his friends, and he has a female friend, and I'm, she's like 28, I think, his age, and she's Asian, and she so. Not only is she um, a female in like a law, f uh, law firm, oh. which is really male dominated, but she's also Asian, which is like another kind of minority. Minority, yeah. And so he basically shared her experience is that like um, it's 
what did he describe it as? Like um, it's the white guys were like, well, the white suit guys, old. They were pretty uncomfortable around her because they don't know how to approach a female or yeah. an Asian because they feel like they're gonna be insulting her. Mm -hmm. So you're saying that there's still a culture in some professions where women are treated differently, minorities are treated differently. Like we can't just all just come to work and do our job. Yeah, no. engineering. Engineering. There are less women in engineering. Mm -hmm. You think? Yeah, I do. Then one of our students mentioned how many kids at their school, which is over 90% Latino, are applying for college. 80% of our school has applied to a university. So they've applied, which means... We're just waiting on. We're yes just waiting. Not. Which brought us back to parent expectations. Like this idea of we always want our children to have more than, they, than we have, yeah. Does anybody... Well, I think to a certain extent it's okay. Like, you do want to see your child succeed and not just, like, stay at home and, like, be, like, kind of like, I don't say failure. But, like, you want I them to... say failure? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, no judgment, though, really. <laughs> like, you want them to have a good career and to make money and be happy. All right, so, what, so in order for you, like, let's say you're a parent right now. Okay, and let's say you had a hard time in high school, so you want your kid to fit in to the system. I don't want them to fit in. I want them because they can have friends, and what I would do is encourage them to find a group that they want to be part of, whether it be sports or chess club. But as long as they have a support system of friends who are there for them and... So they don't have to be, like, popular. No. Okay. Or like That's where he went everything. wrong. He, meaning James, the father in the story. Spoiler alert! We move on to whether or not Lydia's death was an accident or suicide. Yeah. Did Lydia kill herself? No, she swam. She wanted, I don't know. Oh, there's no, a big old no. No, no, I think she did not. I like the ending a lot. Because like during the whole book, I was like, oh, she committed suicide, she committed suicide, she committed suicide. You thought suicide. that. Yeah, Same. but then, oh my gosh, the but ending. Do you think so she good. did or no? no? No. I think, like, I was explaining it to my mom, and I'm like, man, that sucks, because she just wanted to get the, past this one bear in her life, but then she ended up dying. dying. Basically, after that, she remembers the whole thing where Nath pushed her into the lake, right? Knowing that she couldn't swim, and so then, like that time, she realized she was like she wanted the boat and she went into the middle of the lake, and she thought, "I'm going to go to the other end. I'm going to go swim to the shore. I'm going to do that, and I'm going to swim over to there. And I can do this. I can." Be the strong person who can swim to the end of the shore and not drown. And like, she just started swimming a lot to like forget her problems. And like, maybe that's what she was trying to do, like Lydia, like trying to swim away her problem for the while. But then there's also the other thing where some people, like me myself, when I'm running, I go like, okay, I'm almost there. I'm always gonna make it. Like, I'm just like, I'm right there. Even if I'm halfway or not even halfway, I'm gonna be like, I'm, I'm almost there. Like, yeah. <laughs> and just like, keep thinking that way so I could like be closer to the end goal. But maybe she was using my kind of mentality to, as like, to not scare herself into like stopping from like killing herself. Cause I'm like, I'm leaning a little more towards the suicide part because she did have a lot on her shoulders and maybe, if she had really thought about it, like, okay, this will be my night, last night here, I'm gonna kill myself, this will be the end of it. 
maybe she thought that like she knew that if her like she had said that to herself she would be too scared to go and do it mm. so she was just like okay I'll go tell my mom when this is over I'll go do this I'll go do that I'll be happy when this is done so she's looking ahead so that she'll actually finish doing what she set out to do yeah because without that look ahead she might get too scared and stop yeah is that what you're saying kind of like she's trying to make herself think that she like this isn't her last time being here she's gonna go do something to distract herself from what she's really gonna do I see so she's telling her she's pretending that she's not really trying to kill herself but she by by pretending she's giving herself the strength to actually do it we touch on fear and isolation and our college counseling intern Mercedes chimes in I think in this case um, the Lee family's I guess fear um, is enhanced because of their backgrounds they're even more isolated because they're in a small community. Mm-hmm. It's the 70s. Yeah. And they're of mixed heritage, so they don't really fit in anywhere. Which is probably one of the reason why she felt so close to her brother, is what I would think. So that's probably that, but amplified even more so because like they are 10. kind of isolated in that little family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, like, what Michael said, I think what fear... Fear is something... Like, to me, it's a motivator. My, my fear is, like, failing. I feel like I'm not going to succeed in life, you know. So I, I just try and overcome it. And I try uh, so hard to, like, succeed, try my best, you know, as much as I can. So to me, it's a motivator. And uh, I, I drive past my fear just, you know, so I can get better. Yeah, that's one way to process through it. What are you going to say? So now that we talk about, like, this whole what is fear thing, I've been thinking, like, what is it's like a waterfall like you're inside a cave and there's a waterfall there but on the other side you see like this bright light and that must be the exit so this waterfall to you can be a trickle and you can just like pass through it or it can be this giant stream that you can't really bring yourself to go to or perhaps it's like this really thin um like this really thin like layer of water that looks really big so you don't feel you don't you feel too scared to go past through it but if you stay like in fear of passing the waterfall like passing through the waterfall long enough you start like kind of suffocating in its mist so it's like you're suffocating like yourself yeah you're suffocating yourself because you can't like really bring yourself to go through it but at the same time it really scares you you don't want to do it, and then, yeah. So the very thing that you're afraid of by going through that more dense waterfall of being suffocated is actually already happening because yeah. you're worrying about it so much. That's the mist analogy. Like I'm guessing. being so like all the time you're spending like you're spending there being so afraid of it. It's like it's already affecting you. Affecting you. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Fear as waterfall. That image really moves me. I hope that she has the desire and fortitude to become a writer someday. It's this combination of reading plus discussion that gives these kinds of opportunities for creative expression. I feel so lucky to be listening. And now, you are too. listening to The Real Word Podcast, produced by Reading Opens Minds and edited by Saul Black. 
You can find us on iTunes or the podcast app on your phone or on the web at lareviewofbooks.org slash the-real-word. Thank you to the LA Review of Books staff and supporters for giving this podcast a home and some tender loving care. For more information about Reading Opens Minds, go to readingopensminds.org. There you can subscribe to our newsletter and see what else we're up to. Special thanks for this episode goes to Stacy Reader, Leslie Peters, and Mercedes Vasquez for facilitating the book club, and to Ernesto Oriano for recording this meeting. Next episode, we'll be talking about the book Pleasantville by Attica Locke. I'm Lauren, and until then, happy reading. Happy reading.